Hello, this is the Heart of the Piano podcast. Before we dive into this episode, an interview with pianist Matt Herskowitz, who is a phenomenal talent with not only the highest levels of classical music, but also a seriously amazing jazz musician. I'd like to say an enormous thank you to the Bechstein Piano Centre in Manchester, England, for letting me use their practice and teaching rooms to record these podcast episodes. Hello and welcome to the Heart of the Piano podcast where we are exploring the world of piano as always. I'm very, very excited uh, this episode uh, to have Matt Herskowitz, uh, absolutely phenomenal classical pianist and phenomenal jazz pianist and uh, very up my street, does a lot of jazzing up classical music. So uh, hi Matt, how are you doing? I'm doing really well, thanks. Thank you. It's great <laughs> so, to be here. Yeah, excellent. So, so I've wanted to invite you for some time because uh, um, your classical technique is absolutely phenomenal. Uh, something I've been listening to recently uh, uh, on Medici, uh, and, and some of these are on YouTube as well, is uh, a concert of you doing jazzed up Chopin etudes, uh, where you, you, yes. you half of them is like the the uh, the original Chopin etude played phenomenally, not only flawlessly but with so much emotion and so much uh, interpretative maturity, and then going into just Thank incredible, you. just mind blowing jazz. such phenomenal classical technique and can you tell us about your your classical music education uh sure um i'll try um (laughs) i um i started out uh just loving classical music when i was a kid uh so um you know the the uh, i remember the one of the first pieces i i wanted to play after i got a real piano uh was uh lists liebestrom number three Mm. like i loved that and of course, like a Chopin uh, fantasy impromptu. And, and, and how old just, were you at this point? I just love Rachmaninoff. I've been wanting to, I've been wanting to play those pieces since I was five, but I got a piano at seven. Mm-hmm. So um, at seven, I, I I got to work and uh, advanced very quickly. And that's uh, a pretty late start, actually, for for a concert. Yeah, it's, well, you know, my parents couldn't afford a piano, and uh, they said at seven we'll get you a piano. But at seven, my father got laid off from work. Right. So they still couldn't afford a piano. So they saw an ad where someone was giving away an, an enormous, uh, what they call concert upright, uh, back from mm-hmm. the turn of the 20th century. 
so this this piano was already uh, 70, 80 years old uh, at the time. And so they, they, they could take this piano for free as long as they could take it, you know. So, yeah, so yeah, like, yeah. you know, they got my uncle and a couple of other guys and they, they carried this thing into the house. And that was my first piano. It was an old Kimball upright. Right. And this piano was so old that, uh, you know, of course, my parents didn't know anything about music. So there were two things they didn't realize. One was that the tuning of this piano was still the, the 19th century tuning of A437. So it was a half step uh, lower. It was a semitone low. So right. a, 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 a do uh, or, or should I uh, speak in uh, English? So a C <laughs> was a B. Right. Uh-huh. And and like a D was a C sharp, you know, mm. and like and so on. So it was it was always a half tone low. And the second thing I didn't realize was that I had perfect pitch. Oh, no, so, I was going to ask you. I was going to say, how, <laughs> why is that a problem unless you have perfect pitch? Nightmare. Well, there you go. <laughs> so so I grew up my my entire life thinking that everything was semitone down. Oh, and no. they at, at at age nine they took me to get evaluated, and a lot of teachers were saying, you know, I, I didn't have good ears, and you know, it probably wasn't, you know, had 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 some problems there, and it was because, and, and there was this one teacher they took me to uh, named Finley Cockrell in in, uh, in Albany, New York. Uh, I grew up uh, in that area, and mm-hmm. uh, he he was like, okay, wait a minute, he's consistently wrong for like <laughs> for like about three or four times and then it starts getting random and what was happening was that i could see from his expression that i was that i was giving the wrong answer so i tried to i tried to mix it up to to give the right answer and just basically guess Mm. you know because i knew that what i was actually hearing was wrong Mm. so and he figured that out and and uh he called he called my mother and said hey could you go play middle c on that piano. Unfortunately, my mother knew enough to know where middle C was. Yeah. Uh, so she played middle C and he went, aha! <laughs> <laughs> he said, there's the problem. Your son uh, probably has perfect pitch and has just learned it on this piano. So mm. it, uh, for the rest of my life, I've been trying to undo that. And unfortunately, I mean, I, I did to a certain extent, but it's a little bit like like trying to get somebody who's left-handed to be right-handed by like yeah. shocking them or something like it doesn't you can do it you can do it but it doesn't it's not quite ever like fully natural and you can't and you and you're never going to have your 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 ultimate throwing arm as you would have if yeah. you hadn't done that so that's a little bit my situation like I still get confused sometimes so it's like God. it's an ongoing so thing so you're always <laughs> transposing what a nightmare well i i got to the point where if i'm like not too tired and I'm paying attention. I, I can tell what it is. But sometimes I have to I have to think the note above or below to verify. Mm, mm. You know, so like I basically I can't always trust myself to know what the pitch is. And so so does that mean that every time you play a note on on a properly tuned piano, it does just always sound like, oh, that wasn't expecting that one. No, no, it's a, it's it, that. No, no, not quite. Um, uh, once I'm <laughs> once I'm in it, then it's fine. You know, okay. that, but if you're pulling a note out of thin air, let's mm. say like normally, like I should be able to, if you, if you tap a glass, I know what that pitch is, mm. except that pitch may, I may know it a half step lower, you know? So, yeah. um, I, I have to think, okay, I just heard that. What's one tone. What's one semitone up. 
and then that'll that'll uh, and then I'll, I'll I'll know if I was right or wrong. So so when you're playing jazz, I mean that must mean that that you, you hear a note in your head and you go play it. And does that mean you're always approaching your target note from a semitone away? <laughs> no no no. Uh, it, it, I was, but but um, I'm I've retrained myself to the point where I'm mostly good, right? Uh, I'm mostly good. I don't I don't think my my uh, my my uh, perfect pitch has has quite the because of this all of this you know translation and retraining myself yeah it's not quite as precise as it was before i did that yeah uh, but i i prefer to sacrifice uh, a bit of the edge off it to you know know what the note is um but you know but again like the situation where if you're pulling it out of thin air i i do have to verify by going uh a half step above or below and i I do get it wrong. Like my wife has perfect pitch. So sometimes, right. you know, I say, oh, that's, you know, and she goes, well, actually, no, it's a half, half tone <laughs> above that. So like it does, it does happen. But if I'm kind of focused, like I, I can certainly do it. Um, it's, it's not, but this is, this is something that's going to be with me for the rest of my life. Like you can't, you can't completely yeah. make somebody left-handed, right-handed, and you can't yeah. completely make somebody who's learned the wrong pitch, uh, do the right one, because this is, you know, uh, 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 absolute pitch is sort of burned into your brain. You but, know, but, but from you, a young but you age. Know that, you know, apparently from the age of fifty, perfect pitch starts to drift, right? It and does start, start to drift. Yeah, this. I have started experiencing this, and I talked to a friend of mine, uh, another pianist who, who's who's experiencing the same thing. Mm. Uh, that it's it's you know, so it becomes a little more complicated, but. You know, now that like I'm I'm awake and like I I can I know what a do is, you know, like a do I think that's right, you know? And yes. and in my head I've made a quick conversion that I, I, I've listened to the note a half step below in my head and verified that I was right. So, and wow. but that process takes about half a second. Wow. So it's pretty fast now. So so yeah, <laughs> yeah. you over, you overcame some obstacles <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, oh if that's the worst obstacle in my life, you know, I'll take it. You know, so <laughs> It's not, but you know, if it, uh, you know, because there are worse obstacles, uh, that yeah. one, you know, not not well, such a big deal. Well, it, it it doesn't sound like the the most traditional concert pianist um, uh, childhood, which let's face it, normally yeah. does need quite a lot of money. Uh, yeah, it does. It, it, you know, <laughs> um, but I mean, we raised money for uh, for to, for me to get like a real baby grand piano, and, and mm. you know, I uh, that's that that was that you know that was part of it. Playing concerts to raise money. Uh, uh, the, the teacher I mentioned before, Finley Cockrell, he, he helped uh, organize that. And, you mm -hmm. know, so uh, there there are ways that you know get around it. And then and then at um, at age uh, uh, thirteen, uh, I went off to um, first North Carolina School of the Arts, uh, mm -hmm. and then uh, a year later, um, uh, I went to Curtis Institute in Philadelphia. So then you know, then I had like a piano and you know mm -hmm. a real piano and was was supposedly getting really good training. Supposedly, but, uh, yeah. Why? Why? What happened? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so I had up until that point, I, I had been um, basically self-trained. Like, like uh, uh, Finley was was giving me some good stuff, and you know, and uh, he kept my my certainly my interest in by indulging me with what I wanted to play, even if it was uh, a little above my uh, abilities. Um, yeah. it's, you know, sometimes better to reach for something if you really want to play it. So it was um, all less than Chopin, I'm guessing. Yeah, yeah. I'll rock my, I'll rock um, <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah. But, um, and, and lots of ragtime and uh, uh -huh. Gershwin. I love that stuff. I, he introduced me to ragtime and it was just like, boom. You know, so the, mm. in a way that was my first introduction to jazz in a sense. 
right? Uh, you know, Ragtime and then Gershwin, uh, which I loved, and I played Rhapsody in Blue, you know, since I was twelve, and you know, it was, okay. it, it was great. But when I went to the to to Curtis, um, I, you know, it was supposedly one of the best schools, uh, and yeah, but I wasn't really getting the the uh, the disciplined technical uh, advice that I needed. So uh. I was a bit still like a wild horse. Like I was getting good coachings, like musically and stuff like that. You know, I was getting some technical, but, but it wasn't really helping the technical. So uh, basically there, there, there wasn't, there, there's not really a lot of teachers at these schools that, that can, uh, are, are either capable or, or willing to help. It's more, more capable, mm-hmm. uh, to, to, like, you know, obviously I was a kid with a lot of talent and I made up for what I didn't have in technical training with fingers. So I developed like super strong fingers to make up oh. for, to make up for the, the lack of like using my arm and my, and my body. Yeah, um, yeah. You know, like I didn't know how to use the weight of my arm. I didn't know how to how, how to guide and, and uh, leverage my, my hand and my fingers with my arm and, and, and that mm-hmm. kind of thing. Mm-hmm. I just didn't know. So uh, you know, I was pretty much all fingers and nobody really addressed that. So I went through, <laughs> I went through, mm. through Curtis and then Juilliard, my, my teacher in Juilliard was, uh, was, was interesting. Uh, I don't know if you know Joseph Kalichstein. Uh, no. Yeah. Okay. He's, uh, he, he's like, he's known for this, uh, great, uh, beautiful sort of, you know, bear hug sound, you know, okay. uh, it's a very gentle, but very round. Uh-huh. And full tone, you know, he's not like yeah. a, a great virtuoso, but he's, he's, he's known for that. And I tried to get that by osmosis because I really wanted it, but it's, mm. it's, if you're not using your arm, it's really hard to get that. Uh, so, um, it wasn't until, um, I started studying with a, a Russian teacher. I actually, I did a, a piano competition in Cleveland and one of the judges said, you know, I, I, you could be really good. But I know, I know what you need. You should study with my old teacher. And, okay. and he called him. And uh, uh, that teacher was uh, Vladimir Viardo. Okay. So he called him and, and uh, Viardo agreed to hear me. And then he took me at a, uh, for a, 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 a discounted rate since you know, I, I couldn't afford his, his normal rate. And, uh, so so how, how old were you by he, this stage? Oh, I was uh, 23. Okay. 24. Yeah, uh-huh. 23. So, something like that. I'm 23. So, so you'd so, already done your degree? I already done everything. Stuff. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, I already done everything. So, uh, basically, the the um, you know, I was playing, I was playing fine, but I there was you know there was just something missing. Like I actually done fairly well. I got into the the finals of the Brazoni competition with the way I was playing. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, but you know, when it came to certain types of music, there was this thing missing. You know, this this mm. this kind of basic fundamental thing and my other teachers have written it off as a sort of like you know a lack of musical imagination and uh viardo said no your problem isn't musical your problem is technical but if you were in the finals of the busoni you can't have been that bad (laughs) no i wasn't i wasn't no i wasn't that bad i was uh, i was i just um i was incomplete okay you know uh and that's basically good though well yeah i mean the fingers will will can get you pretty far okay uh you know like i, I did the, the the schumann toccata and this this crazy prokofiev etude and a lot of yeah. those things you know had me sail through you know but then when okay. it came to rachmaninoff sonata like yeah. like i was it was okay but like it's you know it's not really enough to to you know to get you through like i, I couldn't quite 
wrap my arms around it because I wasn't really using my arms. Right. Uh, and you know, when, when it comes to, uh, to Chopin, the intentions were good, but the execution was a bit lacking sometimes, especially in the sound. My sound was, yeah. was, uh, too, you know, sometimes uh, too hard or not, or not full enough. So those kind of things. So some, some of these, these crazy etudes that I could play would, would, would sail me through the first two or three rounds. And then I, and then I'd get, you know, knocked out as yeah. soon as you had to, to show, you know, a, a bit more than that. So, uh, basically say, yeah, your problem is technical, uh, not musical. Uh, I could, it was like the old jazz thing. Yeah, man, I can really hear what you're trying to do. You know, <laughs> <It's> like, <laughs> sure. so, so he's like, okay, so what, you don't need to take away anything. You're not actually doing anything wrong. You just need to add, uh, this element onto it. So he gave me the sort of like Russian, uh, Brahmsian based technique. Hmm. Uh, you know, like the old school Russian technique, like he got from, uh, Gillel's yes. and uh, you know that he he passed it on and and he said you know someday you'll pass this on too um, so uh, I I took to it within just a you know, couple of months my playing it was starting so, to be transformed so so what are the secrets to teaching that kind of arm weight because I think a lot of teachers struggle to really sort of uh, impart that technique what, what's the secret to that do you reckon oh um well, I, I can explain it now because, uh, you know, I, I've been through a sort of uh, a formal uh, process of like mm. how to practice it. And, mm-hmm. and you know, so I can certainly I, I can certainly show anybody how to how, how to practice it. The main thing is 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 sort of diagnosing uh, yeah. what somebody's problem is. And if and if that is indeed their problem, uh, there are a series of Brahms exercises that are absolutely fantastic mm-hmm. for that. And they just, you know, they're designed to give you exactly that. Yeah. It's a Brahmsian technique. Yeah, the, you know the 51 exercises? Uh, I, I don't about, know those personally. There's seven or eight that address this. And, and they're just golden, you know, to, to, to practice. That's what Viardo had me practicing. Uh-huh. Uh, and then suddenly the Chopin etudes make sense. Yes. You know, once, you, once, you, once you've mastered those and you do them every day for about, you, you know, we're talking 15 minutes. It's not like a major investment um mm-hmm. you know you don't need you don't need to do them hours and hours a day you just ju- just do them a little bit every day and you know just make sure you're doing them right um and basically uh the, the way you make sure you're doing them right is is to know how it's supposed to feel yeah. and you you do need a teacher to guide you for that you know i wouldn't suggest going out and buying brahms 51 exercises and then practicing them yeah. like you won't know what you're supposed to to look for you won't know you know, uh, how you need guidance to do them, but, uh, and, and it's actually not that, that complicated or difficult, but it's unbelievable, uh, how many teachers, uh, that are teaching it, you know, very mm. respected institutions don't know it. Yeah. yeah. I, I, I find that kind of shocking because it's, it's pretty fundamental, you know, you, you, can, you mean, don't I mean, there are, the, uh, don't know the exercises or don't know the technique, uh, either, but they might okay. know of the exercises, but they don't know like this, like how to teach it. Um, yes. Yeah, even yeah. if they, even if they, they sort of can do it themselves, they don't really, they don't know how to teach it. And it's not really that complicated. It's especially if you have someone really good, that's breaking it down for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and a lot of, a lot of people don't, don't use it. There's, a, there's, let's just start by saying there's a lot of different ways to play the piano. There's different techniques. Um, you know, there's a French technique and, you know, there's yeah. uh, the Italian and that's, and they're all slightly different, but it's all variations on a theme, right? You yeah. got to use your arm. You've got it, you know, it doesn't have to be in the, the Russian uh, way, but you get, you, you know, you, you can't just use your fingers. You're just, it's just too limiting, you know, like pianists mm-hmm. who, 
who do that are are missing something from their sound and their touch. Yeah. Yeah, this yeah. is only one way. So you know, for me, it, the most natural fit. I mean, you, sometimes you just you just directed to life directs you to where you you need to be. And yeah. for me, that Russian technique was about as natural as suddenly uh, taking a fish who's uh, suffocating in air and throwing him in water. And that's a bit what it, it's a bit what it felt like. It felt so natural. And, and Fiardo was just, he was a little bit blown away with like how quickly I was picking this up. And yeah. he was like, wow, you know, it's like, and then he went on a rant about the criminal teachers, you know, and how they should be in jail. You know, it's, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he's not wrong. Yeah. <laughs> um, maybe, 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 maybe jail is a bit hard. A Siberian forced labor camp, you know, or something. Yes. But, <laughs> uh, it, you know, but it's, it's, it, it's something that it's like, gee, it's such a shame you didn't get this earlier. Yes, but I'm getting it now. So that in a way was sort of the, the, the missing element the mm. sort of the, the, the key that unlocked my, put my musical potential. Uh, and you know, I, I, in a couple of months, yes, it transformed me, but it took years of, of, uh, playing, uh, and, and practice, you know, I would say it took like two, two years until, uh, this was fully integrated in my playing, maybe two, three years. And then it's, everything started to transform. Um, I, uh, I went to, um, my last classical hurrah was in uh, 97 when I went to uh, Orford, uh, Orford Art Center uh, in uh, Quebec. And I, I, it's a pretty uh, a prestigious uh, music festival. And I won both the uh, Beethoven Second Concerto uh, mm-hmm. competition and the big prize, the Glazunov Second Piano Concerto ah. competition, which was to record that piece with the Musici de Memorial for Chandos Records. Yes, so I and- did that. And, and, and that I never would have been able to play is, that piece otherwise. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that, that, I was listening to that recording a couple of days ago. Oh, my God. Your playing of that Glazunov is just stunning. And the oh, piece, I, I don't think I'd ever heard the piece before. It's beautiful. Oh, it's not it's played so a lot. Yeah, I know. Nice.
It can be, yeah. It's well, it's funny because we after I, I won the competition, um, the, the the conductor and the head of the festival was uh, Yuli Tarovsky, who's yes. a, a great cellist um, and you know a, a phenomenal uh, maestro. Just like you know, maybe like stick technique, not uh, you know like George Schulte or something, but like mm-hmm. just phenomenal uh, maestro. Yeah. And, you know, the orchestra just, oh, my God, did they respond to him? It was just amazing. <laughs> um, and very, like, very few people can, can get that is, is what I've, I've learned. Anyway, so, so um, we were listening to uh, some uh, English pianist recording of Glasnov's second. It was the only one uh, on the market at the time. Hmm. And, and Yuli was like, oh, dear, this isn't a very good piece, is it? You know, it, it was just like it just sounded <laughs> just terrible. Yeah. Uh, and, and then we started looking at it and... You know, closely, and he said, "Hey, this is you know." And he, and he started like talking about, "Okay, this is like the wind blowing through the chandelier," you know, and mm. and this is like you know, imagine this scene here. This is what's right. and it's and the piece is like, okay, so it's like you go from one room to another room to another room, uh, and you know, you're you're sort of like you're taking a tour um, because there is no like traditional structure really for the piece. So really, it's. The, the person performing it basically kind of determines how successful uh, yeah. the piece is going to sound. You know, if you have no idea where this piece is going, uh, no plan for it, it's going to sound like a mess. You know, it's yeah, just, it's, yeah. it's going to not, you're not going to, it's not going to be, make sense to the listener. But if you use imagination, which is often the case with a lot of Russian music, it can be the most beautiful thing in the yeah, world. Yeah. And it's like real Russian music is, is like that. It's just, it's so beautiful, but you have to, you have to get inside of it. So Yuli, um, uh, I mean, Viardo also like uh, had that approach. You know, he also had this imaginative approach. But but um, working with Yuli was was amazing because he he really just he got my 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 brain just really. Uh, it was sort of like with the technique, this imaginative way of interpreting Russian music uh, just like was so natural for me. And I started like, oh, okay, so this is you know. And then I started going off on my own after, you know, he, he uh, prompted me, uh, you know, mm. with our sessions uh, to, together, just uh, studying the score. And uh, like he, he was an am- and then he just let me go, you know, like he, he was just an amazing mentor in that way. Um, mm. You know, I, I needed some guidance and then boom, uh, my, then, then I was ready to tackle this, uh, the interpretation of this piece myself. So, so it was the addition of like metaphorical visual imagination that exactly. made the difference. It, yeah, yeah. That's what made the difference. And, and and that's exactly like how I that's what I do for, for Rhapsody in Blue as well. Like these mm. all pieces like that 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 are rhapsodic, you know, that yeah. that are not like Brahmsian structured, you know, you you I just find that it helps to do that. You know, like yeah. I, I everyone has their own way of interpreting, but um, my way is uh, imaginative interpretation. You know, yeah. like I'm always telling a story, just about always. Even in the uh, in the improvisations, I'm telling a story. Even even if it's that's it, not pre-planned, like in in the Glazunov or in the in the Rhapsody in Blue. Yeah. But as I'm doing it, you know, I'm I'm imagining. You know, like there's there's uh, you know I'm going with the music, but there's also there's always a uh, some sort of a visual uh, component for me. But, but yeah, I, I mean, absolutely outstanding playing on, on that recording. It's such a shame it's not on Spotify, but I'll put a link in the show notes for it's people not? who are listening. Uh, no, but but uh, I, I think oh. on your SoundCloud account, you've, you've put a recording. I've so put I, it up 
You, you mean you mean Chandos has taken down that recording? Uh, well, it's not there. It's definitely not there. So, uh, oh, um, okay. uh, un- unless maybe it's just not there in the UK. Maybe it's there in other countries. I don't know. Well, but Chandos I, is a is a UK label. Sometimes for copyright reasons, they take it off certain countries uh, for reasons I don't get. But okay. um, but but yeah, I'll, I'll put a, a link to the recording on SoundCloud uh, on the show notes uh, for sure. people who are interested. Yeah. Um, and then, um, at what age did you start to play jazz like really properly? And yeah, and you're a phenomenal jazz pianist. Oh, thank you. Um, I, I would I would say I, I started getting into like jazz proper, like like improvisation. Uh, and trying to figure out jazz language, you know, first you need the jazz mm. language. Uh, I did, you know, both at the same time, but um, it was while I was at Curtis, my my uh, roommate uh, in in Philadelphia, uh, in uh, you know the apartment uh, that we shared. Uh, he was a, a a classical clarinetist to Curtis, but he was a jazz saxophonist who was uh, mm. he was also a jazz saxophonist, he was really good. So he and he had. Uh, a lot of friends that were jazz musicians, another jazz saxophonist, an alto player, uh, a trumpet player. Uh, I started hanging out with them and we started doing jam sessions along with like the bass player from Curtis who also played jazz. There was no jazz program at Curtis. This was all just like people who, who happened to, to, to do it. Yeah. Um, and uh, so we started jamming and, you know, in, in, in my apartment in Philadelphia where, you know, I have my, my nice piano provided by Curtis and, uh, then, you know, started doing, uh, uh jam sessions, uh, and, and people were really uh, cool about it. You know, they, I started, um, do playing with a, a group of amateurs, uh, called the writing terminals cause they played at the writing terminal market okay. and the train station. <laughs> and, uh, they were very cool with me and, you know, um, it, it was fun. My, my apprenticeship, I started doing the jazz vespers. And they were super. They were super nice with me. I even jammed uh, back in the day with Joey DiFrancesco what, what, before he jazz, became famous. What, what were jazz vespers? Jazz vespers is uh, it's like in in a in a church, like a black church. Oh, and, right. Okay. And like you, the, the musicians uh, are are playing in the service, but it's it's jazz music. Okay. Okay. And then at the end, uh-huh. at the end, there's a, there's a jam. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. And at, at uh, the Jazz Vespers uh, uh, that I used to do, uh, there was uh, Joey DiFrancesco was, uh, was the pianist before he became a, a famous jazz organist. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I don't know, if it, have you heard of him? No, no. Joey DiFrancesco, you probably like him. But uh, yeah, he, he became really big. So he was just a little kid. And uh, he was, you know, I guess around 13 at the time. And uh, right. I was maybe 15. Uh-huh. Uh, so... Uh, it, it, it was a lot of fun, and uh, they had like jam sessions at night at, at the churches as well. So you'd go there, and he'd be there, you know, leading a jam session. And I, I got to play with, with Joey uh, several times, and, and you know, we had a blast. And, and you know, and, and I got to play with a, a lot of other great musicians too, who like a, apprenticed me, you know. And then later they go on to become super famous. <laughs> it's like it, it's yeah. it's kind of cool. Like it, it's you know that's going to school on the streets. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I had that. Uh, in Philly, where, where you know, I I did, I, I got exposure to to great jazz and was able to participate in, in jam sessions, so like the mm-hmm. Jazz Vespers, or you know, just that you know, after a, a gig at a club, you know, you'd go and they'd, they'd have a jam session. I would always go to that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so and you know, then my friends and I would play and and uh, you know, it just just for fun. And they were very encouraging. It would be like, oh wow, you couldn't do that yesterday. 
cool. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So like it, it's, I just soaked it up and I just listened like crazy uh, to just get all the language uh, that I could. Uh, it, from, it does uh, sound like you pick things up sickeningly quickly, whatever it is, <laughs> whatever you're to. exposed to. There it is. Um, yeah. I, 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 we're about the same age. And uh, I think, you know, back then yep. I was very aware that there were very few people mixing genres, mixing classical and jazz. And there was a lot of snobbery right. about it. Did you experience much along those lines? A little bit, although Curtis was uh, surprisingly cool about it. Um, they oh, actually hired me to like play for their parties and stuff, you know. Oh, yeah. wow. Cool. <laughs> so they, but they were like, oh, but don't, don't play classical in, in, in those venues. It's not good. <laughs> teachers. And it's like, well, why not? So the like, snobbishness why? was the other way around. Uh, yeah, it was like, <laughs> yeah, go ahead and like play your jazz there, but don't play classical in those situations, you mm. know, like, but why not? Why can't you? Like, mm. it's. It's music. Like, does it have to be? Does it have to be in a proper concert hall all the time? You know, mm. like, yes, it, sh- it should be in a concert hall, but it can also can also be at the bar. You know, that's. Uh, uh, but I was told not to mix it, and and I listened to that for a little bit, and then I was like, this is stupid. Like, <laughs> I can I can play, I, I can do a classical piece and then jam out a little bit on it. Like, that's that's you know, that's. Yeah. Uh, so I I started like I didn't really jam formally on it the way I, I I do now it wasn't like like I thought about what I was doing but like I would play the, I would play the piece and then I would just sort of take off you know yeah, yeah <laughs> that's yeah. something you know it was just I was just having fun with it um and so yeah so they like yeah they, they they were like all the jazz is fine you know but it's 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 you know like that's and that's really cool that you that you do it but you know, clearly inferior was a little bit the attitude, <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know, yes. and actually like I, I came to learn the opposite. I came to learn that, you know, jazz musicians are like the real musicians, you know, because yeah. they're creating it on the spot. And if it sucks, you can't exactly hide that behind, you know, great music. <laughs> like you're making the music, buddy. And if it ain't good, it ain't good. You know? Yeah. <laughs> so, so were you always then quite interested in jazzing up classical music? No, uh, not really. I was sort of keeping them separate uh, for a while, uh, for most of the time. Um, mm. It wasn't until like 2001 or 2002 or something when uh, they were when when I was approached by by a, a friend and colleague who was composing the music for uh, an animated film called The Triplets of Belleville. Oh yes, yeah. yes. And he, he wanted me to play uh, the Bach uh, C minor prelude from book one uh, in the style of Glenn Gould. So yeah. like, I listened to the Gould recordings and I did my, you know, Gould imitation. Um, it's an awesome recording. That, that I love that, it. That, it's, uh, oh, thanks. Well, it's, I mean, that's, so I, I played the prelude like that. They wanted to use it because Glenn Gould was, uh, they were watching TV. Uh, mm. uh, what was it? Madame Souza and, and her uh, grandson were, were watching uh uh, Glenn Gould play on TV. That was the scene. <laughs> and then, like, while I was waiting to see if, uh, if uh, in the studio, if uh, I needed to do it again, uh, I, there, there, you know, there was a break, and so I just started, I just started jamming, like, because uh, the chord changes are really easy, and the it's, uh, you know, it's fun. It's got a great groove. So I just started swinging it and just kind of oh. jamming on it. And uh, Ben Charret, who was uh, producing the session, the, the composer of the soundtrack. Uh, looked uh, through the um, uh, through through the the glass panel and at me and said, "Hey, that's that sounds uh, pretty cool. 
you want to try take? So I did. Oh. And it just came naturally. He was like, hey, you, why don't you do it again? But, but don't do the repeat this time. So I did. And I was like, literally, it, it was just two takes. He said, hey, I might use that. And he <laughs> did. It, it became Bachala Jazz. And that that became like so successful uh, that I was like, gee, you know, maybe maybe there's there's more to do in this space. I don't know. And yeah. then and I was playing a a, a gig uh, in um, uh, Cologne. It was a, a, in Germany. It was a private uh, concert gig uh, with my jazz trio. And this flutist was there, Andre Griminelli, and he heard us play and he said, hey, I, I want you to to do an album of like ba- jazz Bach arrangements uh, with me. And I mm. said, sure, okay. So I made more Bach arrangements, and this time uh, I really went deep into it. Like I, I, I made actual complex structural arrangements where uh, you know I actually I, I started you know composing arrangements mm-hmm. uh, on on the Bach pieces and integrating it into the structure of the of the of, of the original pieces, and you know actually saying okay what are the essential lines here in this piece? What is everything that needs to be kept that's Bach? Mm. And what are the things that I can replace and do my own thing with yes. and, and jazz it up? So I, I started doing that and, and that became like a process. And I, I developed rules for that process because, you know, you, it's hard to do anything without, without a map, mm. you know, without, without rules and guidelines. So, uh, you know, then I had, I had uh, all that, you know, this template and, you know, then I started just listening to, hours and hours of, of Bach pieces to decide which I was going to do. And basically the, the, the rule for that became the, the, the uh, pieces where in the first few times of listening, I had a strong idea of like a germ, a strong germ idea of what to do, of mm. like what I, if I could hear something, if it, if it was obvious, a style uh, of, of uh, music that, that I could transform the piece into that the piece seemed to want to go into, then I would do it. And, and after a few times listening, I didn't get any uh, strong feeling and I couldn't figure out what to do with it, then I, I would let that go. Maybe come yeah. back to it later, but I would let it go. So that's basically um, uh, kind of how I chose the pieces. Um, mm. And so I did an album with, the, with this flutist, uh, with my trio. And then uh, a violinist uh, heard this stuff because my trio was, uh, I did some trio arrangements of them and, I was doing a festival uh, in El Paso in, in, in uh, Texas 
uh, and this uh, violinist um, that was also at the festival heard it and he wanted an album of Bach arrangements. So I started working on new arrangements, uh, getting suggestions from him and the record label, you know, and um, a lot of those like were, were pregnant with, with, uh, with ideas of, 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 how to, uh, of how to do them. So that was a mix of my own choices and their choices, uh, which really worked. So um, I did that, and, and there I went even a little further into like it, it, that. That album had to be a little bit more on the sophisticated side. Uh, mm. So that one leaned a little more classical, even though it's still a jazz album. Yeah. Uh, so that 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 um, uh, perhaps it, it, it's it's a different shade from the 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 uh, the album with the flute player because that's kind of more jazz, you know, like uh, um, what do you call it? Un. Uh, Unambiguous jazz, yeah. and uh, the the uh, the Bach Twenty One album with the violinist uh, Philip Quint was was more ambiguous jazz. <laughs> yeah, it's more of a of a sort of an integration of classical and jazz uh, together. Um, some so, people call that third stream or something. Third, yeah, yeah, third. I guess yeah. yeah, third stream. Some some reviewer called it third stream, and I was like, okay, I'm, I'm cool. With that. <laughs> That's fine. Whatever that is, I'm cool with it. So, <laughs> um, uh, so then uh, after that, um, I decided I wanted to to do the same thing with Chopin, uh, not knowing if that was possible. But I had been, you know, playing some uh, classical music more with uh, a violinist I work with uh, a lot and had been working with a lot uh, named Lara St. John. And we started yes. out doing jazz projects. She's, I invited her to do uh, Does my, she play uh, jazz? Uh, yeah, kind of. I mean, yeah. she's, she does her own thing, but she can certainly improvise, and you know oh. she's come a long way over over the years in in, in uh, ability to improvise, and she's she's got the gusto for it. You know she she's not shy about it. Yeah, um, and she just can play in all these different styles, even if it's written out. You know, not everybody can play all these different its styles so well. So um, uh, she played on my uh, Jerusalem trilogy uh, mm -hmm. album, and then uh, we did an album together. The, the, her project of of uh, was honored to participate on. It's uh, she'd been collecting all these. Uh, folk songs from all over the world, uh, you know, particularly uh, in, in Eastern Europe. And um, so we did an album of like, you know, composers, uh, compositions based on those folk themes. Mm. And there were some, there were some like more uh, traditional improvised arrangements of, 
of uh, those pieces where we took the tune and just like ran with it, you know, in, in mm. the folk style. Um, and then others where, where it's, uh, most of them actually, where they're actually composed pieces based on those folk songs. Mm -hmm. uh, so uh, I, I did a, a couple of uh, Jewish tunes, uh, one of which made it on the album. Uh, uh, so the one that made it on the album is called Nagilara, and it's based on Hava Nagila. Okay. And, and it's, it's pretty crazy. It takes that piece way out there. It was really fun. It was really fun to do that. And then like we started playing concerts, but in the concerts, uh, festivals wanted classical music. So we had to do some classical music. So I started, we started doing like... Well, that some, wasn't uh, classical enough for them. I, I mean, to, to my ears, that's still pretty classical. Yeah, no, it wasn't. No, they wanted like Beethoven and, ah. and Ravel and... and uh, oh, they're uh, so unadventurous. Uh, some, uh, uh, yeah, some, uh, you know, uh, so, so we did... Uh, so like she said, okay, I want you to learn the Franck Sonata. So like, you know, okay. the Franck Sonata. And that, that actually was like, people were just uh, kind of tripping on our, on our Franck Sonata because...
was like they were hearing it again for the first time. Mm. Uh, and I, 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 you know, I couldn't really figure out why. So I, I took a listen to the piece and I was like, oh, okay, well, this sounds really pedantic compared to, to, to what we're doing. I mean, later I found versions I liked, but the first versions that come up on like YouTube, some of them can be, can be pretty pedantic. And, well, it's, but it's that one was of like, those pieces that every violinist plays quite early on, I think. Yeah. And probably gets completely sick of. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Exactly. So uh, Laura had some, some really, uh, uh, let's say, different ideas about the piece, except mm. I, didn't, I didn't know they were different, you know. So mm. uh, I was like, oh, this is cool. I'm going there. So, um, and we've modified it over, over, over the years, but um, we, we do have a unique inter- interpretation of it. So, um, mm. And then, you know, I did, we, did, we did some like earlier Beethoven uh, violin sonatas and uh, some Shimanovsky and some Ravel and some Debussy. And, and then uh, she was like, okay, I want you to, I want you to learn the Kreutzer now. So I was like, well, okay. She said, this is a big one. You know, it's really big. Like, it's going to take you a while to learn it. You know, so <laughs> she said, okay, so two months from now, we have a concert of the Kreutzer. Get it ready. Uh, so, <laughs> so I did. And we played it. And we like, we were by the seat of our pants, but we got, we made it through. <laughs> and, uh, and then we, she said, okay, I want to record it. record uh the kreutzer and the frank this is going to be our first classical album so i did it uh, we did it and uh that album was uh really for me it was a bit surprising because i thought by then i i, I was a little more sophisticated and i i, I knew what was expected mm. and what we were doing was not what was expected <laughs> of these right. of these pieces so i thought we were going to get pilloried you know and the opposite happened uh, mm-hmm. it got the reviews were fantastic you know, they were just pretty much across the board glowing. Uh, mm-hmm. There were very few negative reviews. 
So that was that was nice. So that that kind of helped feed uh, tours of you know the uh, yeah. Frank and the Kreutzer. Uh, so our concerts became mixed. They became part you know jazz and you know I did Gershwin arrangements for her and mm. you know Shiksa stuff and then maybe the Kreutzer or the Frank on uh, you know on the on either the first or second usually on the first half you know closing mm. the first half something like that um, and maybe Debussy Sonata or something. So uh, have you heard that album? It's called um, Key of A. Do you, do you know, I've, I've listened to so many of your albums. I, I haven't know. got around to listening to that one yet. Um, but, but I'm sure it's superb. I'm, well, I'm just curious what you think, because you, you, people either love it or they hate it. Well, I'm intrigued now, but, but I mean, I, I, was, I already <laughs> know that I love her as a violinist. I've heard many of her other oh, albums, and she's a phenomenal talent. So you've made me yeah. really, really want to listen to it now. Okay, cool. <laughs> Excellent. So... Um, that's that got my uh, classical chops. Well, I had to get my classical chops back up because I hadn't played classical for for uh, you know ten years at this point. Hmm. Um, so I decided I, 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 one one good way to get your classical chops up is to do Chopin etudes. <laughs> yes. You know that that's a winning way, right? So I like Opus Ten Number One, Opus Ten Number Two. I uh, hmm. do the thirds. You know, like get yes. get the basic get the basic. Uh, and then I got an interesting call. Like, are you, are you interested in hearing the story of, of, of how the Chopin Etudes yeah, came absolutely. to be? Yeah, absolutely. Okay. Yeah, of course. So the story of, the, of, of uh, Chopin Etudes on jazz. So what, what, what happened was um, I, got a, I got an interesting call uh, a few years ago from the agent, uh, an agent that I, that I work with, a, a booking agent in Montreal, who, uh, who said they, this Hollywood movie is looking uh, for someone to record 10... Chopin etudes. Oh, that's very specific. You know, the straight classical versions. Yeah, they wanted the, they wanted ten Chopin etudes uh, for the soundtrack, and I was like, "Well, why are you calling me? Like, you know, <laughs> like you have the Chopin guy on your roster, you know, and uh, like the guy who came in second at that time in the Chopin competition, right? And uh, she was like, "Well, he's not really available." Uh, and you know, there, there was a question like, would he have time to practice, uh, the etudes to get them in the, in the, in the such limited time that he had. Hmm. And they were like a lot of the hard etudes. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, like Opus 10 number one was on it. There was, uh, Opus 10 number four. There was, um, yeah. there, there, there was a lot of, there were a lot of hard etudes on it. And so basically like nobody that she called in the classical world uh, was either available or had time to do this gig on the short notice that it was, because oh, this was a, this was a last. Was they needed it in in a couple of weeks. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you so, were ready. Oh my god! Wow. I was sort of ready. I had to wow. learn some of the etudes. I but I was half in two ready weeks. for this gig. Oh my god! Yeah. Oh yeah. So anyway, so uh, I I practiced yeah you know as much as I could, and uh, then I'm did in the session. Awe. Wow! Yeah, it was it was fun. So, um, it turned out to be for a movie called Hustlers with Jennifer Lopez, okay, uh, and Candice Wu. Uh, yeah. So that was very highbrow music uh, for that uh, film uh, about strippers. Yeah. That's, <laughs> but the but the director, uh, Lorene, um, it, the name escapes me for a second, but I I, I know mm. her name's Lorene, mm. uh, and she wanted like it was really important to her to have these Chopin etudes. Right. You know, in these specific scenes, <laughs> you know, okay. like that was, and, and she, she wanted, 
uh, like she had been using a temp track and yeah. she wanted it to sound basically like the temp track because that's how she cut her, her scenes already mm-hmm. uh, to, to, to what was there. So, you know, it was a bit tricky, but uh, I did the gig and, you know, she, she, was, uh, she, she was super happy. And the, the, the thing is, I was like, okay, well, now I, now I play all these Chopin etudes. Um, <laughs> Two I've weeks got, later. Oh my I, already, I, already, I already had like uh, a, the Boogie Woogie. I already yes. had that. Uh, yeah, okay. I already had that one. done that so i thought well why don't i remember just seeing that years ago on youtube and being like oh wow yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that was the alara film that <laughs> so i was like well why don't i just do them all mm. you know now i basically play all the etudes why don't i just do them all so i, I have, have you actually project. done all of them all of them as jazz well no i have i'm working on it so it, 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 this is going to be a work in progress until okay I'm like 90 you know so <laughs> uh but I've got, I've got a dozen of them. So I got book one, you know, mm. like, I'm, <laughs> wow. you know, so I'm, I, I recorded, well, I recorded eight of them for Medici. And that, uh, that concert's phenomenal. Yeah. That, thank you. But I didn't do the revolutionary uh, on that concert. Mm. Uh, something had to go uh, because of prioritizing practice time and just time of the concert. The concert was too long. Mm-hmm. So I, I took off the weakest link. Uh, so that the one that I would need to practice the most to get it, I took it off. That was a revolutionary. So that wow. I could put that time into, Harder into than really making number the others. Two. Wow. That's right. Focus on, on, on the things that, that were already really good and make them great. You know, mm. I figured that was a better use of my, of my time than stretching too thin wow. uh, and, and, and trying to do everything. And something had to be cut mm-hmm. uh, because they wanted me to do the F minor nocturne, which I thought, you know, I'd do for an encore. Yeah. And they were like, oh, don't cut that. That's going to be really cool. <laughs> so, uh, so That's I cut so the random that they would be so, so insistent on having that. Well, they were just like, you know, it's going to be like really fun, you know, and it's, it, it, it'll make a great encore to have this one nocturne, yeah. you know, just kind of come out of left field. Yeah. Um, and they were like, you know, if you have to cut it, okay. But, they were like, you don't, you, you can cut one of the etudes. You have enough etudes, you know? And mm-hmm. so, uh, so I cut the revolutionary, but that, that, that is on another concert that, that I, I recorded uh, okay. a video concert, which was during the pandemic. I recorded it so that, you know, you could still play concerts, except you didn't have to travel. So yes. people bought the, they bought the, the, they bought the video concert. Okay. And one of the presenters I work with was, he, he said, if you record it, I guarantee you uh, four sales, pro- possibly more, thousand uh, dollars a piece. So oh, I recorded whoa. it. I recorded a video for four thousand dollars, and 
I ended up having uh, eight or nine concerts of it. So like I made a tidy profit of it too. Okay. And I, so, I so, was able to... So if anyone listening wants to listen to that, is there a way for them to, to hear it? Yeah, it's still private for the moment. And, and I can't put the, make those public yet because even okay. though they're not the Medici concert, the, the, the production company that recorded the concert for Medici uh, says don't, um, uh, don't compete with yourself. Okay, sure. Yeah, don't yeah. compete. Don't compete with Medici. They're not going to like that. But uh, yeah, yeah, it's funny that that F minor nocturne. Um, when I heard that on Medici, I was like, "Well, I have to interview you now because uh, I've got Why? my own jazz version of that of that oh, awesome. nocturne." And, uh, and basically, and similarly to you, to, to yours, it's it's not like what a lot of jazz people do, which is just to have the tune and then just go off on a load of two five ones, you know, uh, to something not fully related. I keep the right, entire structure. Yeah, yeah, yep. sure. So I've got the entire structure of the nocturne intact and keep as much of it in place as possible, but heavily jazz as well. And there's you doing exactly the same thing with yeah, what is exactly. like I think quite an obscure piece. I was like, oh wow, um, and. And I think that it's it's quite unusual for there to be uh, jazz musicians who are not only jazzing up classical, but keeping so much of the original structure of the classical piece. So I thought, well, I've got to interview you. But who else do you know who does that kind of thing, keeping that large scale structure? Uh, I don't know anyone. To, I, I think that's for the moment. I'm uh, I'm one of the, uh, the 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 few owners of this space. Ah. <laughs> uh, myself and, and you. Uh, yes, <laughs> I, I, but I don't. I don't know of anyone else really doing it that way. Uh, Brad Meldow came out with a very interesting uh, album called uh, After Bach, where he plays yes. the Bach prelude straight, and then he improvises. But he's not keeping the structure. Yes, you know what I mean. Like he starts off with it, but then he he does Brad Meldow, which only he can do. You know, he mm-hmm. goes off yeah, yeah. and creates an improvisation. Uh, on, on on the on the inspired by the Bach prelude, but he's not he's not keeping the integrated structure the way that that I did with my Bach arrangements. I yeah. I do believe I'm I'm sort of the the sole owner of the space, uh, <laughs> doing it doing it at the moment. Uh, I, don't I think, I it's think gonna, there are a few others, and I will put links to some of the other people in the show notes because oh, it I is think. a little bit of a sort of a a niche hobby of mine to collect cross-genre things so i'm, I'm okay, particularly awesome. interested but, but i certainly think that that you're one of the very few people who keep the entire structure like so one that i particularly like uh, um i can't remember what the name of the album was but you, you take the the slow movement of the ravel piano concerto uh the g oh, yeah. major is it Mir- mirror and, image uh, was the album. Yeah, yeah and and that's beautiful and you know you start with the um uh, concerto that the slow movement sort of pretty close to the original and then gradually drift off into jazz
It reminds me of, did you ever listen to Herbie Hancock's version of that that he did with an orchestra? I, I did. I did finally hear that. I loved it. I mm. loved it. And, and his, his version inspired me because I thought like, okay, well, you can't screw with the beginning of that, right? It's, it's <laughs> complete perfection and Ravel slaved yeah. over every note. So you yeah. can't. But then I heard Herbie Hancock uh, do it and I was like, well, I guess you can. Like, why not? <laughs> so, so uh, you know, it was so classy. I mean, it's mm. basically the, the rules in life are there are no rules. Like you can do whatever you want as long as you do it well. And as long as you do it with class, yes, you can do it. It's the problem when people make rules saying you can't do it, you can't do it. It's because people are doing it badly. Yes. So the reaction is cancel it. You can't do that. But that's, that's not actually the appropriate reaction. The reaction is you personally shouldn't do it, <laughs> but maybe somebody else can, you know? <laughs> I mean, that's a little harsh, right? Nobody wants to say yeah, that. Sure. Somebody go, sure. you know, it's like, don't quit your J job, buddy. You know, that's <laughs> <laughs> but um and no and, and then of course there's also that that classic Jacques Lucio album of the Goldberg variations which I yeah. loved so much uh, yeah, it's really in good. the 90s it's, and, like and I'm, I'm surprised that that it kind of took you sort of so long to start combining the jazz and the classical when uh, I think Jacques Lucio was doing such interesting stuff before then were you were you a big fan of Jacques Lucio back then didn't really know him like I knew, I, uh, I I sort of knew the name, but I didn't really I didn't really know uh, what he was doing. Okay, um, but yeah, he's what what he's doing is ta- is playing the original pieces in swing, essentially. Yes, you know, like there's not a lot of improvisation going on. Like he does have small sections of improvisation for sure, but his thing is he's literally jazzing up the original. Yes. So he's. He's playing Bach in a jazz swing style. Yes. So that's, I mean, that's really cool. Um, <laughs> but then, you know, 50 years later, it's fair enough to uh, up the game a little bit and take it to, to the next level. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, yeah. And actually, you know, and do your own thing. Keep that structure like he does, but put your own music in it as well. Yes. You know, yes. Do, do your own thing. And, you know, have it, have it be so integrated. Like he is, he is very integrated because he's actually, he's playing what Bach wrote, you know, just yes. in, in, in a jazz swing style. And, uh, and, and then he goes off and jams a little bit sometimes. And that's really cool, but it's, <laughs> it's, it's very tasteful and it's very respectful. I find what Jacques Lucia does is very respectful. It's very gentle, Bach. isn't it? Yeah. Yes. Yeah, it's, it's super <laughs> gentle. Yeah. Um, which is great. Um, and if you're going to be a little more invasive, you're going to invite a little bit more, uh, uh, criticism, you know, uh, people are going to object, but a lot of people will like it. You know, yeah. um, I think what, what was more inspiring to me for, for the Bach arrangements was more Claude Bowling actually than Jacques Lucien. Yes. Yeah. Uh, cause I, I've been playing a lot of, I've been hired to play a lot of Claude Bowling, uh, okay. you know, which, which makes sense, you know, as a, I got a trio and, you know, this classical pianist, the equal parts, classical and jazz, which is kind of what mm-hmm. you need. Yeah. Um, I don't, I don't have to play Claude Bowling's solos that he wrote out for classical pianists. I do my own. So, you know, and, and do, you know, a little bit like I could put in my own touches in it, but basically play the bowling, uh, the way that a jazz pianist would, but you also have to have classical chops to play that stuff. It's not, it's not really easy. You know, yeah. it's not super difficult, but I would say like a lot of that, that the Claude Bowling stuff, it, it takes more chops than a lot of jazz pianists have. Yes. Um, although I know quite a few jazz pianists that can do it. But if you want it to have 
that French classical touch. It helps to have classical training. It really does. It's, it's hard to get that precision uh, if you don't have classical yes. training. Yes. So like I got a lot of gigs doing, doing that. And I thought, you know, this is, this is really cool actually. And, and it's a, it's a cool kind of basis from, from which to take something, you know, do something new uh, in, in, you know, with this basic uh, premise. And, you know, my, my bass player said that like the, the Bach albums, like when, when the violinist was like, what is this? You know, what do you call this? And he said, it's Claude Bowling 50 years later. <laughs> which is yes. uh, that that's totally what it is that's and that's actually description. yeah it, that's subconsciously that's kind of what what it actually is because you know the playing all that bowling is you know that definitely had a played a role in in uh in my charting out a course mm. uh, for, for for this stuff and even though it's my own way you know you're you're a product of you know what you do is a product of, of everything that you're doing and you're playing a lot of bowling you know, that's certainly that certainly has has an influence and uh, and he did it so well. Like it's just you know we we used to you know be like oh club bowling it's not serious you know but actually it's it is it's really good <laughs> yeah, it's really yeah. good like I, I I mean some of them are like you know some of them are a little bit like okay well maybe we'll leave that one out you know <laughs> what's what's, it, what's, really a, what's a favorite album if you could recommend one album to listen to what would it be uh, of of who of anything of, of bowling of bowling yes. Um, well, uh, you know the the uh, the Ron Paul is is great. You know the flute okay. one. Yeah, yeah. I would re- I would highly recommend the Yo Yo Ma, the cello one. Okay. Yeah. Uh, okay. I think that's that's fantastic. Um, and there's it's funny there hasn't really been other recordings of this stuff that that I could find. Hmm. And uh, I would be really interested to to do the cello one. You know, mm-hmm. with uh, maybe with the cellist I work with. Like, I think that would be that would be cool. We've done most of it already. We perform most of it. Be fun to make another recording, um, mm. not super different, but just another another version. Uh, but uh, yeah, I, w- I would recommend that if anyone out there wants to like give, give a shot at the uh, bowling recordings. There's, <laughs> a, there's basically one recording, and that's Claude Bowling in his trio. Um, mm. And it's nice to have different versions of stuff. That's why there's so many uh, uh, recordings of classical pieces. Uh, so. <laughs> You know, yeah, people are not this, shy of recording the same pieces over and over and over. No, they? certainly not. Yeah, so where are the bowling recordings? Like, not, you know, it's twenty twenty two, guys. You know, let's mm. let's you know, mm. uh, they're great. I I think um, is it the uh, um, Zuckerman uh, the uh, the uh, violin one that has the the viola movement. Okay, I the I don't know the bowling movement. recordings all that well, so I'll have to yeah. check them all out. Yeah, so that one, that one is that one is less successful for me in terms of uh, recording. Like that one could use an update, I think, hmm. uh, but it's not bad. And like he could play viola, so he he's got this great viola move. The problem is you got to find a violinist that plays viola. Yes, <laughs> yes, <laughs> which is not easy. It's not as easy as you might think. There's not there's not that many that that do it. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. Uh, Scott St. John uh, does it. Um, uh, uh, you know, but mostly like we had to leave out that movement, you know, basically when we performed it, yeah, uh, uh, which is a little bit of a shame, uh, but it, it still works. I mean, these pieces are huge, right? They're meant to fit on an LP, yeah, you know, like a, a, a vinyl LP. Uh, mm-hmm. So, so they're, they're all like, you know, 50 minutes, mm-hmm. you know, 55 minutes. So if you leave out a movement, it's still, a, it's still half of a concert. It, yeah. You know, almost yeah, yeah. the full. So yeah, I I would say uh, I I don't remember just the the piano trio one. Like I'm sure that's great, but I don't remember it. 
Uh, but maybe you want to check it out and verify <laughs> if that's yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Uh, uh, I don't, I don't remember that one as much. I, I never do it because, you know, I think the I, piano I trio the ones that didn't... people ask me to play. Yeah, yeah. I remember not massively enjoying the piano trio one, but I'll have to go listen to it okay. again. I think. <laughs> yeah, I'm curious now too. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but, but, so I bet that's it. So um, yeah. I mean, it's it's very encouraging uh, looking at your your career and looking at everything that you're doing because I mean basically you know I'm uh, a certain age at the moment we're, we're a very similar age and um, yeah, yeah. and it's really interesting that so much of the stuff that's that's brought me to to basically this this uh, point where I've really wanted to interview you and uh, and I've been listening to loads of your stuff there's so much stuff that you've been doing recently which which is just absolutely outstanding like some of the recent albums the well, the, the Chopin etude stuff and um, it's it's amazing it's sort of because uh, I think very often in the classical world it's uh, you have to do everything when you're 20 and if you haven't done it by the time you're 20 it's sort of that that's it your career's over you know so um uh it's uh, well, yeah, well that, not for alfred brendel mm. not for radulupu mm-hmm. who just died by the way yeah i know i know i was a, yeah. uh, was it yesterday or a couple yeah. of days ago yeah yeah um, but but what what are your great, plans great then what, what what's coming up for you what interesting projects have you got uh well, there's a there's there's um, new videos in the works actually. Uh, there's I did I recorded a video with um, a trumpet player here in Montreal named uh, Paul Markello. He's the the uh, principal trumpet of uh, Montreal Symphony, mm-hmm. and it's uh, called Gershwin's World. So mm. it's it's pieces by Gershwin and uh, his influences and people he influenced. You know, like. Uh, Ravel is an obvious one. Uh, but there's also Stravinsky and Schoenberg, who was his great tennis partner. Oh, yes, I've uh, read they that. They lived out yes. in L.A. <laughs> yeah. There's, there's some I, man. I came across some crazy stories, you know, like like Schoenberg missed the the, the, the birth of his son, so, he, so to to keep a, his tennis date with uh, Gershwin. <laughs> it's a crazy <laughs> story. That's how seriously they took it. Uh, <laughs> um, but uh, 
anyway, they were they were great friends, and and Schoenberg was super uh, supportive of of Gershwin, encouraging, uh, I would say. Yes. Uh, when everyone else, well, not everyone else, but a lot of other people were were being you know snobs and and dicks to Gershwin. You know, Schoenberg really? was like. You know, for a this, book, yeah, uh, Boulanger also supported Gershwin as well. Oh yeah, remember. absolutely. Yeah, she did. She did. And Ravel loved Gershwin. Yeah, refused to teach him because yes. he was too afraid. But <laughs> you know, uh, he he loved him, and you know, he studied with Henry Cowell and and different mm-hmm. people. You know, so he. But um, yeah, like like uh, well, we're talking about Glazunov. He he was a real snob. Gershwin and Prokofiev really uh, huh. really didn't you know had nothing nice to say and you know. Uh, well, Glazunov was a snob to a whole load of Russian composers, though. Right? There, there was so much yeah. politics with all those guys. God, you know, it's well for sure. And uh, you know, Glazunov was like, "Teach him. The man hasn't the slightest idea uh, of structure." You know, and, and Whoa, Gershwin coming from like, a Russian hey, look who's talking. Yeah, yeah. ouch. <laughs> <laughs> look about glass houses. <laughs> you know, <it's, laughs> Yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I don't know. They, they were there was a lot of institutional institutional snobbery. Yeah. If you think uh, we get it today, like it was no diff, certainly no different back then. Uh, it was worse. It was worse back then. Uh, mm-hmm. So like, but but Schoenberg uh, was not one of those. Schoenberg really loved Gershwin. He said, Gershwin lives and breathes music. He is a true musician, mm-hmm. and that comes across in his music. I mean, mm-hmm. and you cannot argue with that. Is, yeah. is what he said, you know, and it's everything else is irrelevant. It's just being picky for nothing. <laughs> you know? It's basically so that's coming from Schoenberg, you know, yeah, who yeah. was the greatest composer of the bunch, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. Uh, I, I'm not, I'm not sure what Stravinsky said, but Stravinsky uh, liked him too. Um, yes, you know, so we put uh, so so some of the pieces are okay. Cuban overture. I mean, these are my arrangements, right? So they're all, they're oh, all jazz nice. arrangements. Yeah, yeah. So there's Cuban overture. American in Paris, uh, the second movement of uh, the, the Concerto in F. And on the uh-huh. Ravel side, there's the second movement of the Concerto in G, but it's a different version of my album. Uh, okay. By now I had heard uh, Herbie Hancock. Yeah. And I decided to make my own version of the opening. Ah, uh, so God, I went I'm looking there. forward to that. Wow. Yeah, so that's Excellent. now now it's different, and now it's now it's the version. You know, when nice. I play it solo, that's the version. Uh, so uh, don't be too don't be too worried. I didn't change the melody. <laughs> you know, yes. as as Herbie Hancock did not change the melody. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but I changed the settings. Yeah.
so that's it's, it's not the same as Herbie Hancock, but he certainly inspired it. Got to give credit where credit is due. Yes. Um, so you know, and and again, this lack of imagination wasn't wasn't actually due to to not being able to imagine it. It was being due to my classical indoctrination, you know, <laughs> yes, and yes. reverence for everything. Yes. Well, if you've already destroyed Bach and Chopin, <laughs> why, why are you so reverent to Ravel? That already is in this direction. Well, well, I you mean, know? yeah, yeah, there's the something Ravel about is already that jazzy. Yeah, my God. it's already jazzy, and there's something, there's something so perfect about. I mean, there's certain Chopin pieces I wouldn't, I wouldn't do either. You know, like really? super what, delicate. What stuff. What would you not do? Oh, I don't know. I mean, <laughs> you know, let's say, I mean, I, I do almost anything, I, I would think, but, um, what's too holy uh, to, uh, <laughs> yeah, what's too, too perfect, um, where each note is something that seems like you can't change. Uh, can, can you think of a Chopin piece like that? Maybe, maybe I can't, can. I can't, no. um, cause I, I okay. don't worship at the altar of Chopin, I think quite yeah. so much. But, no, uh, I, actually, I, I cannot think of a piece by Chopin that's like that. You're you're right. Um, <laughs> there 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 must be, but uh, Chopin. Now that I've now that I've broken that that fourth wall, I think that that <laughs> any piece kind of goes. Um, but uh, the raindrop. I certainly crazy. think that way with Ravel. I do think yeah. the Ravel sometimes is so perfect. That's what that I mean, the, and that's yeah. <laughs> you think the raindrop prelude Why? is almost like sacrosanct. Well, it's a little bit the, like that Ravel, right? Because it's, it's, if you can't change one thing in that, right? You can't <laughs> um, change one thing. Funnily note. enough, for quite a lot of the, this, uh, the podcast episodes, this podcast, I actually do have my jazz arrangement of the raindrop as the awesome. introduction to some of the episodes. <laughs> So, uh, I mean, you, it, it's easy to do, right? It's super yeah. easy to do in a way. <laughs> like, and there's so many ways you could do it. Oh yeah. Um, uh, and I'd love to hear how you do it. But there's there's my cl- there's again this classical reverence that yes. you can never quite shake because you come from it, right? It's yeah. And and you know, I don't think so, I have that. <laughs> but I know. No, what that's you very mean. good. That's good. But <laughs> I had that. I had that for the Ravel. Yeah. And and I shouldn't have, but I'm I'm happy with the recording on Mirror Image, but I'm also happy that I've changed it. Yeah, like I think that's fair. And you know, the Raindrop Prelude, uh, sure, I would do it if I were doing all the preludes. There's no way I'd leave that out. Um, oh, well, there's an ambitious project. There's oh an my ambitious God. project. Yeah, let me number sixteen. <laughs> Whoa, I'd love to hear a bebop number sixteen. Oh my God. <laughs> what is that? The, is that the B flat minor? 
Uh, I can't remember the key. It's it's it it, it just goes super super fast. Um, yeah, yeah, the B flat minor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the one. Oh, oh man, I thought of, I thought of just doing that. I thought of doing that. You know, because it's, oh, it just be yes. so much fun. I think you need a jazz trio though to really to really oh, you know, yeah. Yeah, make yeah. that as amazing as possible. That it would be great with a jazz trio. You know. Oh yes. Yeah, just, oh my god. We oh. just killing. Yeah. <laughs> no, that's got to be done. Um, so I've, I've seen that you, you're selling at the moment uh, a couple of um, written down uh, transcriptions of like the, the your jazz uh, Chopin etudes. It would be amazing if, if uh, you could also get the sheet music for things like the Gershwin. Have you got stuff like that planned? Sure. To make available? Well, yes. When the video comes out on whatever platform it ends up coming out on, whether it's Medici or EuroArts or, or whatever, then we'll we'll have uh, sheet music available. Okay. Absolutely. Great, Absolutely. Great. And uh, I'll also put out some solo arrangements as well mm, uh, for, for that. Uh, future programs include, well, as I you know, hinted at uh, just now, solo arrangements of some of those Gershwin pieces. So um, American mm. in Paris, solo. Uh, right. And uh, uh, Gershwin, uh, the whole thing, though. Like there's only uh, from the big theme in this video. Mm. Uh, so I, I arranged the, the entire thing uh, solo. And uh, Gershwin Three Preludes, uh, for the first time, uh, it was an afterthought on the program uh, in the, at the El Paso Festival, but I've now integrated jamming into it. So it works. And, mm. uh, uh, you know, those, that, that would be cool to like work that out a bit more and then provide sheet music to it. Yeah. Um, and el- uh, what else uh, would be on that program? I would put uh, my solo version uh, of the Ravel, uh, the new solo version. Uh, I would yeah. like to. We'll see if I if I'm permitted to do that. Uh, but I also have the second movement of Ravel's violin sonata. Uh, oh two. yes, yes, uh, the major, blues also G major. The yes. blues, yeah, I got that for solo piano. Mm. So uh, yeah, there's that's um, pretty big. Pro- and and I mean, I could, I guess, I could put on Rhapsody in Blue. But you know, we'll we'll see uh, how much. And, how and much have time you made that, that your own? Which, yes, I have. Yeah. Wow! Not yeah. not in the, not in the way that Marcus Roberts did, but you know, in my own, a sense that essentially keeping it the same with sections of improvisation. Yes. Uh, in yeah, between, yeah. I haven't I haven't really changed Rhapsody in Blue in, in, in that fundamental way that Marcus Roberts did, which is super yeah. cool. Uh, but um, that's that's not where I would have come from, and that's that's you know I like it, but that I'm not, I, I didn't do that. But what I did do is have you know three or four sections of improvisation within the structure mm-hmm. yeah and uh and and uh and, and one of the places is the one of the, the obvious one like the charleston uh repeated note section uh mm. at the end you know that's like every i think every single jazz pianist would do that yeah, you know, that, yeah, yeah. that one i mean that's, 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 that's obvious right like there's no jazz pianist that wouldn't arrange that <laughs> section but then you've got a few others that uh, you know you can do stuff and there's so many cadenzas, right? Well, you can yeah. just, you can just like either replace or extend the cadenzas or, you know, do your own cadenza and then finish with his cadenza, you know, like uh, yes, yes. the octaves or something like that. You know, it's like, there's so many uh, ways to do it. So I, I, um, I have a video actually out that's, it's a, it's a one take wonder because uh, the piano movers came in to, to take the piano out of the studio <laughs> at the okay. end of it. So like, I, I, I wanted to do it again, but like I couldn't. So yeah. 
It's it's up though. I, I don't know if you saw it. Uh, Rhapsody in Blue. Um, It's far from perfect. I didn't get my second take, but on the third take, which I surely would have done. But, you know, it's, it, I thought, okay, it's still worth putting up. Yeah. Uh, the studio put it up, you know, and I thought, okay, let's put it up. That's fine. You know, mm. uh, so I'll send you a link to that too. Sure, sure. Yeah, it's, it's, it's interesting. I think increasingly now there are starting to be a few more classical pianists who also play jazz who start to do interesting things. I'm trying to remember, did, did Dennis Matsuev do a whole load of improvising on um, uh, on that he's, Gershwin when he played. He he oh yeah he does yeah I saw him uh, yeah. do like some uh, some gala uh, in, in Moscow and uh, he that's what he did. It yes, was, it was he's super crazy. cool. It was super <laughs> cool. Yeah, it was super cool. Uh, okay, another another project I gotta mention this is uh, Prodcan, the, the the production company that makes these videos has, has asked uh, me to do a project with Lara Lara St John. Yes, and our project is kind of a uh, a review or a history of jazz and folk music of North America from the 20th Ooh, century to the present. Nice. So we a lot of cool stuff on that. A lot of cool stuff. Mm, that sounds so great. So I think that's I think that's coming next. Yeah, yeah. That, that, excellent. Anyway, just wanted to mention that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, yeah, I'll put links to um, uh, to all of these things that I've been talking about and, and that you've been mentioning. Excellent, excellent interview. Have you got any final sort of things that you want to add or sell or <laughs> anything um, before we say goodbye? Uh, well, not really, uh, but I'm, I'm starting to make sheet music available for people. So if you're interested in sheet music of, of some of these things, the Chopin and, and soon the Gershwin, uh, please check my website. Uh, the, I have, um, uh, as you already mentioned, I have two uh, Chopin uh, etudes that are already up there. And there will be more coming. And uh, yeah, I, I, I love to share this stuff. I, I, I've been getting a lot of requests for it. I know there's quite a few pianists that are interested in it. And, you know, in the, uh, in the orb of my uh, advanced years, <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm, I'm also uh, opening up to, uh, uh, to the idea of teaching, which I've resisted for a long time. But I think it's, I think it's good to share uh, knowledge. And, you know, my, as I mentioned, Viardo said, you know, I'm giving this to you. You will uh, share it uh, with uh, with other people. Yeah. And I feel like it's it's getting about that time. And you know, I, I have a sort of um, a, a, a more formal knowledge of, of classical technique and music, and any more sort of uh, informal from the streets knowledge of of jazz. Mm. Uh, and um, I'm happy to, uh, to 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 share that with anybody who's interested. 
Okay. So I put I will put um, uh, all the links in the show notes. The show notes go on heartofthepiano.com. But uh, uh, Matt, do you, do you just want to let us know what your website uh, is and how people get in touch with you? Sure. It is uh, www.matherskowitzpiano.com. <laughs> okay. So my name, Matt Herskowitz Piano, all one word, dot com. Okay. And people just contact you through that. Yeah, just contact me through that. Um, if you want to ask me any questions, you feel free to, to ask any questions. Uh, you know, that they, I, I get the emails uh, sent through that. I was having a little problem with it before, but that's, that's been solved now. And in terms of uh, my recordings, you know, most everything is uh, available on streaming. So, you know, if you're curious, just look me up on streaming and then you'll, you, whatever's available, you'll, you'll find it. I would note that there's a difference between Matt Herskowitz solo and Matt Herskowitz trio. They're actually filed com- separately. Yes. So if you won't find my trio recordings, if you search Matt Herskowitz, you have to search Matt Herskowitz trio. I know, like they found yeah. a way to put things in the boxes, <laughs> even, even virtually online, but that's what it is. Yeah. And, and then there's also another way to find you, which is you with the other pianist. And what's the name of your group for people searching for that as well? Oh, right. Uh, Piano Chameleon. That's the one, Piano Chameleon. So that's another one to look yeah. at because uh, you, you won't find you just looking for your name with that. So, um, and that's well no. worth checking out. Uh, again, all the links will be in the show notes. So, yeah, th- thanks okay. very much, Matt, for being on the show. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thank you. This was fun. <laughs> You've been listening to the Heart of the Piano podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, it would really help us if you could take a moment to rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice. And do make sure you subscribe so you're the first to know when more exciting episodes are released. If you'd like to see the show notes for this episode, you can find these at the Heart of the Piano website at heartofthepiano.com. Click on podcast at the top of the page to then find the list of podcast episodes. The show notes have a synopsis with timestamps for the main points, and they also contain links and notes to what was referred to in the episode. So thank you very much for listening all the way through to the end. Uh, you can now go and do some piano practice. (laughs) So see you again for the next episode. Bye.